Well, if you've got a Bible uh, with you this morning, would you turn with me uh, to the book of Matthew? If you don't have a Bible or if you'd like to just follow along, the words are printed also in your bulletin. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 today. Uh, and let me just say at the beginning of this series, we're doing a series on who is Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the claims and the teachings of Jesus Christ uh, over the course of the next three or four months. And I hope that will, in, uh, hope that will challenge you and also uh, encourage you in your walk with Christ. I need to say, as we started, that I'm very indebted uh, to Tim Keller for, for some sermons he did on who is the real Jesus, uh, a couple of his books, and also a book by Jerem Bars, which is very helpful in preparing uh, this series. Uh, but with that in mind, uh, let's turn our attention to God's Word, Matthew 11, and I'm going to read verses 2 through 6. Now when John heard in prison that the deeds about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Would you pray with me? Father, we simply look to you now for your blessing on the preaching of your word. Uh, Father, would you work through me and even over and above me and against me if you need to. But Father, move and work in our hearts so that we might indeed see who Jesus is. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we get started. How many people here know who Tom Brady is? Okay, if you don't know, Tom Brady is the, the quarterback of my fantasy football team. Um, now... <laughs> He's probably better known to you as the quarterback of the New England Patriots. Uh, and several years ago, after winning the Super Bowl, he was interviewed, and he was asked something along these lines, do you feel like you've arrived? Uh, do you feel like this is it? Do you feel like you're at the greatest moment of your life? You're the Super Bowl MVP. You're the Super Bowl champion. You've got the supermodel girlfriend. Isn't this it? And his answer was, man, I hope not. Man, I hope, I hope there's something else. There's a song written by a group called the, the Black Keys. It's called Next Girlfriend. And in the song they say, My next girl will be nothing like my ex-girl. In other words, well, she didn't do it for me, but the next one, the next one, she's going to be the one. You know, I, I'd argue that the experience illustrated here is not unique. Uh, in, in one way or another, we're all looking for the one. Uh, the one toy, the one relationship, the one victory, the one success. Uh, if I just have that, then I'll be okay. I'll be well. I'll be satisfied. I'll be whole. I'll be happy. I'll be, things will be right with the world if I just have that. And yet, even when we get it, what happens? Uh, eventually the toy goes in the closet, doesn't it? Uh, eventually we're completely dissatisfied. And we find ourselves saying to ourselves, my next one will be nothing like my ex one. My next one. My next one's going to do it for me. 
Now, you might be saying at this point, okay, that's interesting, but what does this have to do with who Jesus is? What does that have to do with anything? What I want you to consider this morning and over uh, the course of this series is this. What if Jesus is the one? What if He's the one I've been looking for all along? What if He's the one my life is made uh, to orbit around? And if He is, if He is the one, am I willing to follow Him? no matter where he takes me. Well, there's three questions as we get it, as we try to think about this, this big question. Uh, is Jesus the one? Three questions to consider this morning. The first one is this. Uh, where do we go for an answer? Where do we go for an answer to this question? Uh, the second question is, what are you looking for in the one? And then finally, will you be offended by him? Where, we go, where do we go for an answer? What are you looking for, and will you be offended? Where will you go for an answer? Uh, is Jesus the one? Where do we find the answer to that question? Now, you might be a skeptic about Christianity. Uh, you might be a believer in Jesus, but suddenly you're at that place in your life where I'm saying, where you're saying, I don't, I don't know anymore. I, I, I thought on you. I thought I got it. But the way things are going in my life, I, I just don't know if he's the one anymore. Let me point out to you from this text, first of all, you're actually in good company uh, if you're saying that. Uh, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, uh, he's probably pretty high up the religious figure food chain. Uh, John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. That's what he'd been doing. He'd been pointing people to Jesus and saying, He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. You need to repent and you need to follow Him. But now what's John saying? Are you really the one? Are you sure? Or should I go look for somebody else? Because I don't get it. I don't get it. Now, we're going to come back to that question. But notice, first of all, where John goes with this question. He goes to Jesus with his question. See, if, if Jesus really is who he says he is, if he really is the author of life, if he really is the creator of the universe, if he really is the divine son of God, then you've got to go to him with his question. Now, what's that look like for us to go to Jesus with this question? Uh, I'm talking about this especially today because it's really going to set the direction for the rest of our study over the next few months. Uh, in order for us to go to Jesus with this question, we need to go to the Gospels. We need to go to the books of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. These books, these books that are part of this document which refers to itself as the very word of God. Uh, these are the documents that tell us about the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, about 200 years ago, um, critical scholars began to question things about these documents. They began to question whether these really were reliable, a reliable um, narrative of the life of Jesus Christ. And most of us have been exposed to these criticisms in one form or another, whether it's through a college professor, 
whether it's through Time Magazine, whether it's through the History Channel, you've been exposed to this in one form or the other. And it goes something like this. They'll say that, look, the Gospels really weren't written down until a long time, over a hundred years or more after Jesus' death. And what happened was that there were these stories being told, and they were passed along, and people kept adding to them, and they got more and more legendary and more and more incredible, until finally, a long time later, somebody wrote them down. And you really can't tell who the real Jesus is. Because so many layers of tradition have been added to it. Uh, unless you work for the Jesus Seminar. And then, magically, um, these scholars would claim the ability to say, hey, we can peel all of this back and we can see who the real Jesus is. And he's nothing like what you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And where that leaves a lot of people is simply going, what? Who knows? Can you really know what he's like? Interestingly... Uh, over the last century, more and more evidence has piled up and it's become more and more plain, even to, unbel- even to unbelieving scholars, that the Gospels were actually written within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of the events that they record. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written within 40 or 50 years at the most of when these events took place. Paul's epistles were written at the most 15 to 25 years within the time when these events took place. Now because of that, a man named Richard Bachman in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, points out a couple of things. He says uh, the timing of, uh, of the writing of these books was too early for the Gospels to be legends. It was too early for the Gospels to be legends. Uh, in other words, there were too many people still alive who could have said, that's not what happened. But that didn't happen. Uh, the gospel writers were very comfortable including people, eyewitnesses in their testimony. Uh, for instance, Mark says that the man who helped Jesus carry his cross was the father of Alexander and Rufus. All right, Somebody could have disputed that. If that didn't really happen, there's no reason for Mark just to kind of throw that in there. Uh, Paul points us to over 500 people who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity never would have gotten off the ground uh, if, if these events weren't true because there were still eyewitnesses around. Uh, secondly, uh, he points out that the content of the Gospels is too counterproductive to, to be legend. In other words, if you were making up a legend about Jesus Christ, you would have never included the things that wind up being included in the gospel. Why would you make up a story about the crucifixion if it didn't happen? Nobody wants to follow somebody who just died. Well, that didn't do us a lot of good, did it? He just went and got himself killed. Why would you want to follow him? Why would you make that up? Why do you record Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, isn't there another way we can do this? Why do you throw that in? Why do you have women as the first eyewitnesses in a society in which a woman's testimony wasn't even admissible in a court of law? They were considered unreliable. So why do the gospel writers include them as their witnesses to the resurrection unless they really were witnesses to the resurrection? And why would you play up the failures of the early leaders of the church like Peter denying Christ is that the guy you want to build your church on? Is that what you throw in there if you're just making all this up? 
See, the, the, the gospel content is too counterproductive uh, to be legendary. Uh, A.N. Wilson was a noted atheist scholar who actually wrote a book in 1992 along these lines saying, that's just all a legend. By 2009, he had become a Christian because he had said and he'd actually looked at what the gospel said. And he looked at who Jesus was. Another writer put it this way. She had abandoned her faith in college, but later returned to Christianity and said about what she had been taught, the whole case for the non-divine Jesus who stumbled into Jerusalem and somehow got crucified by nobody and had nothing to do with the founding of Christianity and would be horrified by it if he knew about it, that whole picture, which is floated in the liberal circles I frequented as an atheist for 30 years, that case just wasn't made. That case just wasn't made. It's just not there. It's just not what happened. So what I want to ask you to do this morning, and really for the rest of this series uh, as well, is to put aside what your professor told you, and put aside what Newsweek told you, and put aside what the Discovery Channel told you, and simply look at what the gospel documents themselves say. And simply listen to what Jesus Christ himself says. Because if you're going to get an answer uh, to, is Jesus to is Jesus the one, this is where you've got to go. You've got to go to these gospel documents. Now, second question. What are you looking for? Alright, if you're looking for the one... What are you looking for? Uh, if you say you're open to thinking about who Jesus is, are you really? Are you really coming to find out if he's the one? Are you coming to find out if he meets your list of requirements? You see the difference? Are you coming to find out, are you the one? Are you coming to find out do you meet my list of requirements that I have for what a divine Savior should be like? Because again, if He is the one, if He is the Messiah, if He is God in the flesh, then does it really matter if He meets your requirements? If He's who He says He is, does it really matter, does it really matter if He meets your requirements? Don't you need instead to lay aside your requirements of what you think he's got to be like and simply look at who he is? Now, John the Baptist here was in a bad spot, all right? There's no way around that. He's in prison. Uh, he may have been in prison as much as a year. Now, remember, John was saying, he's the one. I know he's the one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John also said this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John thought Jesus was the one. But what, do you, what had he seen so far in Jesus' ministry? He'd seen blessing. He'd seen healing. But he hadn't seen any judgment. And he really thought Jesus was going to bring the big stick. Uh, he thought judgment was coming. And he surely doesn't see any judgment for the people who have thrown him in prison. Nothing's, nothing's happening there. And John doesn't get it. It's like, look, Jesus, I've followed you. 
I've done the right thing. I've called people to repent. What's going on? Are you, are you really the one? Or do I need to go elsewhere? Do I need to look somewhere else? Uh, Jesus, at this point, hasn't met John's expectations for what the Messiah was going to be like. And he's confused by that. And he's hurting. Now, maybe you're in that same boat um, with John this morning. You follow Jesus, yet your life's a wreck. Work's a wreck. Your health's a wreck. Your family's a wreck. Nothing is going like you thought it was going to go. And you might be saying, I just, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I'm not sure he's the one. Because he's not doing what I thought he was going to do in my life. He hasn't shown up in my life the way I expected him to show up. And maybe I just need to look somewhere else. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, look, Jesus is, is he's kind of interesting to me, but I don't know if I can believe in him in light of the pain I've experienced in my life. Uh, it's interesting here that, that even as John expresses dismay, confusion, he doesn't make any demands of Jesus. He doesn't say, Get me out of here. Uh, rain fire down on these people who have me in prison. Uh, fix my life and prove to me that you're the one. He doesn't do any of that. Uh, Tim Keller draws an interesting contrast between John's question and the question of one of the thieves on the cross in Luke 23. Uh, the thief says to Jesus, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us then. If you're really who you say you are, then why don't you get us out of this fix? Why don't you prove it to me? And John doesn't do that at all. Uh, Keller says that this thief and most everybody else assume that we already know what life should be like. That we already know who we are. That we already know how the world should go before we know whether he's the one or not. And so what we wind up saying to Jesus is, Jesus, I'll follow you if... I'll follow you if you give me the career I want. I'll follow you if you let me make my own decisions about sexuality. I'll follow you if you let me do whatever I want to with my money. I'll follow you if... You let me live the way I think life ought to be lived. But do you see what you're doing there? You're not asking if Jesus is the one. You're demanding something of Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, if you'll fit yourself into my ideas about what you should be like, then I'll follow you. Then I'll pay attention to you. But see, it, again, if he's the one, if he's the Lord, if he's the Messiah, the question isn't, will he do what you want him to do? The question is, will you bow to him? Will you follow him? Will you acknowledge that he knows better than you what your life is supposed to be all about? 
See, see, here's the thing. According to the Bible, your life and my life, we were made for our lives to orbit around God. He's the one who made us. He's the one who loves us. We're designed for a relationship with Him. We're designed to serve Him. And yet we've rebelled against Him. And because of that, we live in this hurting and this broken world. And we find ourselves constantly trying to find a way to lift ourselves out of the misery of this life. And if you decide for yourself, you know, I don't think Jesus is the one to save me because I, it just doesn't make sense to me, then please understand, you won't quit looking. You're just going to look for someone else. Someone else to fix you. Someone else to hold you. Someone else to love you. Someone else to save you. You're going to be on an endless quest for the one. And every once in a while you may think you found him or her or it. But then after a while, it'll start to unravel. Uh, after, a one, after a while you'll find yourself saying, the next one's not going to be anything like the X one. I'm not doing that again. But this one's going to be okay. And you'll do that over and over again because you haven't addressed the thing that, I, that, that is at the root of your problem, at the root of your brokenness. And that's a broken relationship with a God who made you. And only Jesus, who is the one, can address that. Where are you looking? What are you looking for? Are you willing to set aside your demands? Jesus can't be like that. Jesus would never say that. And simply look at who he is. Now last thing here. Last question. Uh, will you be offended? Will you be offended? How do you think the world should work? What do you think God should be like? What if Jesus challenges the, question, the answers that you've already formed to those questions? What if Jesus challenges the answers that you've already formed to those questions? You might be a little bit offended by that. Uh, well, again, you're in good company. Uh, you're not the first one. Uh, Keller points out that John the Baptist was sort of wrestling with being offended by Jesus in a couple of ways. He was wrestling both with Jesus' claims and with Jesus' cross. See, John, he, he did think Jesus was the Messiah, but I'm not sure he was expecting someone who came and said, before Abraham was, I am. Someone who claimed to actually be God in the flesh. I'm not sure he was expecting someone who said, I'm going to come back to judge the living and the dead. I'm the one who's been sending these prophets for years. See, Jesus was turning out to be a much bigger Messiah in some ways than John expected. And if Jesus is a bigger Messiah than John expected, if he really is who he says he is, then that means that whatever he demands of John, whatever he calls him to do, even if it's to go and to die, he's going to do that. And so he's struggling with Jesus' claims, but he's struggling with the cross as well because John could see where all this was headed. He just wasn't judging everybody. He wasn't building up an army. He wasn't starting a revolution. And he could see where it was heading in his own life, in his own life as well. He's not at the forefront of the revolution. He's in prison. 
And he's not sure he's going to get out of there. And it's all heading toward death for everybody. He's like, wait a minute, Jesus, this isn't what I signed up for. This is not what I was expecting from a Messiah. And see, today we're still, we're still offended. We're still offended by the claims. Uh, we're still offended by the cross. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the cross really is uh, offensive. Why is the cross so offensive? You ever thought about that? Why is the cross of Jesus Christ so offensive? The cross of Christ is offensive because it's about weakness. The cross is offensive because it's about weakness. See, if Jesus had said, come on, we're starting an army, we're throwing off the Roman oppression, we're taking over the world, people would get into that. Right, hey, we're going to be on the winning side, we're going to have power, we're going to be ruling everybody. And you know what? We still want that out of Christianity. We still want power. We still want morality. We still want strength. We still want riches. But here's Jesus who comes and he gives up power and riches to rescue weak-willed, immoral people. And we say, what is that about? The cross is offensive because it's about weakness. And we want to be strong. The cross is offensive because it says, you're weak. It says, I'm weak. It says, you're so sinful and messed up that the only way you could have a relationship with the God of the universe is for someone to come and to die for you. For someone to come and to die in your place. That's how weak you are. You couldn't fix it. And the only way it could be fixed was by, through the death of Jesus Christ. The cross says, you should have been there. The cross is offensive also because it calls you to give up on your life. So you want to say, this, this is my life. I can live it the way I want to live it. And the cross says, it's not your life. And a lot of us, I'm afraid, are trying to hold on to Jesus with one hand and trying to hold on to my life with the other hand. And it just won't work. It just won't work. And it's not just the cross that's offensive to us. It's the claims of Jesus that are offensive. Son of God, born of a virgin, God in the flesh, the only way to God, are you kidding me? Am I supposed to believe that? I mean, okay, maybe he's a great teacher. And okay, sure, he's a great teacher. He was a prophet. He taught us a lot of good things about loving one another and serving one another. And, and I can buy into all that. Well, if that's all he was, well, why did they kill him? Why do you kill that guy? I mean, what's he, what's he really doing? If that's all he was, he's really not worth your paying attention to. And if that's all he was, he's never really going to change you. Uh, see, here's the thing. When it, when it comes to religious issues today, we tend to think, I'm free to believe whatever I want to believe. All that matters is that I believe something. All that matters is that I put my faith in something. And it doesn't matter whether what I believe is actually true or not. It just matters that I believe it. Now, let me ask you something. If Barack Obama came in this morning, he heard about our service, like, I'm going to check that out. But if he came in this morning and he said, Hey, I'm the President of the United States. 
And you said, well, that's fine for you to say that, but I choose not to believe it. Would that change? That wouldn't change who he is, would it? Right. It doesn't matter if you believe it. That's, that's who the guy is. Alright? Uh, whether you believed it or not. And when it comes to Jesus, you can't change who he is by believing it or not believing it. He is who he is. And the only thing that matters is, is he the one? Is he the one? That's what John's asking. And here's Jesus' answer. He answers him uh, here by using this language uh, from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. He says, verse 4, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He's saying, John, look, I know you don't understand why the judgment isn't coming yet. But look at what I'm doing. I'm who you think I am. I'm not here just amassing power for myself. I'm preaching good news. I'm healing the sick. I'm helping the helpless. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And what Jesus invites John to do is to take a hard look at Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus knows John is going to have to, to wrestle with this. But he says, look, blessed are you if you take no offense at me. And this is an invitation to, to all of us this morning. I want to invite you to take a hard look at the life of Jesus Christ. And what you'll see someone, is someone who made great claims. Someone who claimed actually to be God. But he didn't run around like a crazy man. He didn't try to amass power for himself. He didn't try to build up an army. Uh, he, he didn't try to get himself made king. Uh, he came and he made sick people well. And he gave dead people life. And he hung out with, with drunks and prostitutes. And he warned religious people to be careful about trusting in their own religion and morality. And then he died willingly on a cross. See, the judgment was coming. John didn't see it yet. The judgment was coming, but it was going to come and fall on Jesus Christ. The bill was coming due, and Jesus was going to pay it. Jesus was going to take the heat for things he hadn't done. He was going to take the wrath of God on himself for my sin for your sin. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, when somebody gives up their life for somebody else? When someone lays down their life for another? Uh, I watched Saving Private Ryan for the first time the week before last, and, and I'll tell you the story about why it took me so long to watch it later. But it, it's pretty amazing to watch this group of soldiers give up their life for one man. And it's pretty amazing the picture that paints of what all of those soldiers in World War II gave up as they gave up their lives for us to have the freedoms that we have. It's pretty amazing when you hear stories from Afghanistan and Iraq of soldiers who willingly throw themselves on a hand grenade. It's pretty amazing what happened 10 years ago when firefighters 
ran up burning buildings and gave up their lives to save other people. And it's even more amazing, it's even more amazing that while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, while we hated Him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and gave up His life for us. Maybe you are offended by the cross. Maybe you're offended by the claims of Jesus. I invite you simply to look at the life of Jesus Christ. And I think you'll find that He wasn't a liar. He wasn't a crazy man. He was exactly who He claimed to be. And if you'll lay down your weapons and quit taking offense at Him, I think you'll find that He is the one you've been looking for all along. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I, um, I pray that you would make yourself known to us. That we would see who you are and that we would receive you and rest in you and follow you. Would you have mercy on us, Lord Jesus. Amen.